Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's RIA. No sales from the front ever, and no smell of stale coffee, bin gay, and or disappointment. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done, and I pick their brain for your amusement and hopefully education. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a like and share it across the internet. It really does help. This is a free podcast. And if you have any questions or suggestions, I would appreciate or hear them. Please leave a comment or send me a message at renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. And if you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash renegade Detroit investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit investment club. If you want to hook up with me, find me on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if you prefer, hello, YouTube, you can go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. And you can watch this, although it is slower to get up on YouTube. We're also on iTunes now, everybody. So if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, Stitcher, one of the other platforms we're on, you can also go to iTunes, Search for Renegade Detroit Investors, and we are there. Legal disclaimer, it's the world we live in, folks. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision, you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals, and you be a fucking adult. Don't sue me. All right? Show quote of the week. Every week, I try and pick a quote to set the tone for the podcast, and hopefully, for your week. This week's quote, you don't learn to walk by following rules. You learn by doing and by falling over. Richard Branson. <laughs> and without further ado, let me introduce you to my guests, Tim Dingman and Barry Conrad of Castle. If you remember correctly, episode three was with Castle, it was with Max mm-hmm. and Tim. And I had such a good time, I wanted to bring him back on. Tim is originally from Boston. He got his master's in electrical engineering from Brown loves ultimate frisbee and is a co-founder and coo of castle mm-hmm. barry conrad hails from the great state of colorado i do studied at the university of oklahoma initially to be a weatherman interesting you do look the part sound thank the part thank you and is now the director of business development for castle and he sells a lot of shit you should definitely reach out to him go to intercastle.com intercastle.com hit him up on twitter at intercastle and I don't know if you if you haven't listened to the first uh, time I had him on episode three, rebirthrealtydetroit.com. That's where we talked about the story of this house that we're mm-hmm. in right now and also about other things. But I highly recommend you go back and listen to that one because we're going to kind of we're going to do a brief overview and then we're going to carry on the conversation from last time. So this is the second time I've had Castle on the RDA podcast. First time was in episode three, included Tim and Max. I highly recommend you listen to it. Um. That being said, Tim, yes. Barry, recap in five minutes or less for our audience what Castle is, how Castle got started, and where Castle is going. Sure. So the uh, origin of Castle is in this house, as you kind of alluded to. Uh, me, Max, and Scott, who's the third co-founder, hasn't been on the podcast just yet. Um, we and one other guy uh, bought this house in the 2013 tax auction in Detroit. Um, got it for $8,200. Put about A steal. 200 grand worth of um, rehab later. Um, it's the 
a home to eight people, including the three of us, also Barry now. Um, it's also the home for Castle and one other company, Bonza, which makes chickpea pasta. Um, the way we got started with Castle, you know, doing this house, we none of us knew anything about real estate to begin with, but of course we were exposed to it doing this house, knew a lot of other rehabbers, especially on our street, Virginia Park Street, um, just in wider Detroit in general. It's kind of a you kind of can't avoid real estate living in this town. It's all, it's all around you. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, and we discovered talking to these, uh, rehabbers who had become landlords through their rehabs, um, that it was, it's kind of a backwards industry in general, but in particular, when people don't want to do the management themselves, they don't want to be the landlord anymore. They don't have any great options. There's this whole industry out there called property management, uh, where the owners hire people to manage their rentals for them, but um, people are typically pretty unhappy with their provider. Um, mostly it's too expensive or they just have no idea what's going on. Um, so we felt like there was an opportunity in the market. We knew enough to step it up and um, bring a sort of 21st century approach to a 20th century industry. And kind of to touch on where it's going, you know, that's kind of the foundation, but what we've realized over the past 10 months, 12 months is that there's a certain type of customer that our service works for really, really well. It's probably out of state. You might be international. You've probably come to Detroit a few times, five to 25 properties looking to expand your portfolio. But at the end of the day, you really just want to have access to see what's going on at your properties, but really don't want to manage anything else. And Castle is uniquely poised to give them that information through the technology and to provide all of those services here in Detroit for them in a really clean and efficient way that is very hard for other property management companies to do because they lack the technology that our team here is building. And they suck, quite frankly. Uh, there's some nice guys out there. No, they're, I think they're nice hey, guys. Some of them yeah. are my friends. Okay? <laughs> and I like them a lot and they do a good job, but it still sucks. It sucks. Property management is a difficult thing to mm. do. It's, and it's not sexy. It's like insurance, right? You need it. You absolutely have to have it. Yeah. And then flipping, oh my God, then all the rules, all the regulations. It is boring shit. It's not sexy. Having used your damn app, though, I love it. I, to me, this is the kind of stuff I dream of where, where somebody can potentially come in, and I hope, I hope you guys can do this, and just wipe out all the garbage, all the trash, because property management is expensive. No, mm-hmm. I don't think people care about spending the money. I don't. What I hate is not getting the result. Yeah. Spending the money, not knowing what's going on. I remember calling one property management company. This was in 2009, and I was they were using Propertyware, which sucked, yeah. and I could never log in. And when I could log in, I could never figure <laughs> out what was going on. So I had to call because they, yeah. they wouldn't answer my emails, right? Yeah. And I wanted to figure out what was going on with this one property. And I remember the guy said, I don't know. Um, have you logged on the property where? And this has been an ongoing argument for 10 months. I'm like, yeah, I can't ever figure out what the fuck is going on yeah. in property where. And he's like, well, I, what do you expect me to do? I'm like, I give you my money. You're the property manager. I, what do you mean? I just lost yeah. my mind. Yeah. Um, so it's not sexy. But I, when you guys were doing on a project we were working on, we knew how many applicants. We knew when. We knew every time something, I got an email. Yep. When I didn't do something, I got annoyed until I did it. I mean, it was amazing. It was like a mom app and you always knew what was going on. I love it. So, and I'm not getting paid for this people. I just, (laughs) I like it and I'd like 
property management to be like this everywhere. We've so, got a great referral program if you'd like to get paid for it, though. So we can talk about that later. That sounds good. <laughs> Strictly off the record, of course. Yeah. So before you go to innercastle.com, uh, wait for that link until I can get paid for it. Cause <laughs> it's not something I knew about to write now. And I don't wanna... No, you should definitely go anyway. Definitely go anyway. Maybe type my name in there or something, yeah. Jeremy. But um, I just wanted to, I'm really excited about it. And that's one of the things you guys are thinking big, too. And I know you guys are not talking about a lot of it, but mm-hmm. I remember on the last podcast, episode three, you said you were a software company mm-hmm. currently involved in property management. And I think that says a lot, but is there anything else you can say along those lines or? Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the case. Um, at our core, we're sort of a software company that happens to do property management along the lines of sort of thinking big and expanding just to give you some background on the industry. Right now, there's 200,000 property management companies in the United States, and three quarters of them are sole proprietorships, so just one person. So that's not a company. Almost the entire last quarter have five or fewer employees. There's only four property management companies, to my knowledge, that are national, and three of them only do commercial. So if you're talking about residential property management, there's only one national company. I think it's CBRE, but don't quote me on that. Um, So it's incredibly fractured property management is it's a local industry because you're tied to the local properties, but the companies also are local and we want to be national or even international in our reach. Um, so, you know, the technology is a big part of that. We're also actively thinking about what our next markets are going to be. Um, right now we are thinking like the DC Baltimore corridor Metro area. It's similar enough to Detroit where we feel like, We'll be kind of at home. And we we have friends there from the Venture for America program, um, but different enough where it'll sort of test the playbook that we built and show that we can expand to these other types of cities. And then, um, you know, basically any city in the United States, except for a couple where you have really strange um, real estate markets, could be a good fit for us. I would say ripe for disruption, right? <laughs> Ripe. <laughs> One might say that. Low hanging fruit. <laughs> I can't wait till people are crying themselves asleep that their business went under. And then all of a sudden there was a software. I don't know how you guys are planning on doing it. I did notice though that um, now when, or it was on, I think it was on your website. Mm-hmm. I did notice that there was, there was a button for Detroit, which is why I led you. I, was, I didn't know if you were ready to tell everybody you were going to expand or not, but I noticed like, wait a second, you would only have that button if you're going to be in multiple cities. Yeah. It's absolutely been in our plan from day one to be to operate not strictly in Detroit in the metro area. And that leads us to our topic for today that I want to talk to you guys with. Because you guys are a startup mm-hmm. and a software company and entrepreneurs and real estate investors. Because you kind of have to be everything in Detroit, right? So uh, what I want to talk about today, and this is obviously... This could be about your company, about you, mm-hmm. about life, about everything. It's thinking big and selling big. Because it dawned on me that I have a tendency to think and sell small sometimes, mm-hmm. right? Especially after so much failure in my life. I have this desire to break things into smaller things. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily always need to be broken into smaller things. It just feels better to break them into smaller things. Yeah. Um, and it was something I've been thinking about a lot. And I re-listened to our episode three, and that's I was like, you know, I'm I'm going the wrong direction. We had a different topic we're gonna to talk about. Mm. And I realized I remembered in episode three, I wanted to go further along some of the thoughts that you were talking about, mm. Tim, about 
thinking big and the process of thinking. And it appears to me, looking from the outside end, that you guys have had a multi-year plan too. So not just thinking big in terms of more money, more more success, more everything, mm-hmm. but also you're thinking in terms of long stretches of time, mm-hmm. which I have struggled with until I started farming most of my life, right? Yeah. Thinking beyond the quarter. Yeah. Thinking in terms of decades or quarters of lives. Um, so that's, that's going to be the topic for this week. I know it's a huge topic and we could just, we don't have to cite sources or anything like these are sure. our opinions, right? Yeah. Uh, but this is actually something you guys are doing too. And you had a plan to do it and you were going to do it and you are doing it. So I wanted to pick your brains about that. How do you, how does one think in terms of years and zeros? Cause that's really what we're talking about, right? We're talking about years and zeros. Hmm. Well, and essentially calories to get us from point A to point B, right? But <laughs> we're talking many years and many zeros. You're going to start a business anyway. Yep. And you guys were thinking big from the get-go, correct? What did that look like? How did it look? How do you manage it? How do you measure all that stuff? Yeah, so we, uh, the three co-founders were really like sort of brought up in the startup world through this program, Venture for America, which Barry was also a part of, but in a different city from us. Um, we and adopted Barry? I was adopted. I was uh, originally in Las Vegas, and I'm now here in Detroit. We got him. We got him. Happy got him. (laughs) Screw you, Vegas. Vegas is great, though. (laughs) I love Vegas. I'm going there in February. I'm sorry, Vegas. Um, So the entrepreneurial, the startup mindset, especially, um, you're kind of primed to think about the future. Um, You know, the whole enterprise is about ways you can, like, accelerate the future. Um, I like that. Accelerate the future. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was working in a wind power company, Max and Scott were both working at a tech companies in downtown Detroit. Um, but we always, the program likes kind of trains you to be able to start your own business once you're done with the two years. Um, and they're in particular startups and startups are, like I said, um, focus on the term horizon. So I think that's how we in particular ended up getting started. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you, would you agree, Barry? Yeah, no, I'd certainly agree. And you th- like, you think about like the, like the beginning phases of a startup company and like the real challenge as far as, you know, you have an idea as a startup and you want to grow it really fast, but there's this natural tension between the growth of a company and finding new customers and, the scalable processes that you build at your company. And I think Tim and I recognize this in each parts of our jobs on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. My job is to sell the business to as many new customers as I can so that we can have like the rocket ship growth curve that a startup dreams of. And Tim's job is to manage all these properties in a really scalable and efficient way. And there has to be a, uh, a natural balance between those two positions. And the, the way that I've found and the way that we balance that is if we really can't have a lot of bells and whistles around this property management service. If, you know, a customer has like a really specific need about their property and they, they really want us to do like this thing that's outside of, you know, our step one is this step two is this step three, we find a tenant, we manage the property. If they have some outside need, we can't promise that even though that allows us to grow faster, it falls outside of this like natural, like, scalable process that we have to build. So, um, 
if we, if everybody on the team has a mindset of, does this, like, can we scale this promise that I make? And if we can't scale that promise, then we say no to it or that, that need. That's a good point. Yeah. Like if, unfortunately we can't grow as fast, but at the same time, the customers that do fit in with that, that model that we have, it works super well. And then we can charge a lower rate and they can be really happy with our service. But when we start promising things that don't fit, Mm -hmm. the customer is not as happy because we're not as good at it. And Tim hates me because I promised somebody something <laughs> that they they damn it, Barry. Yeah, I've said that so many times. Yeah, they so. don't get mints on the pillows. How many times I gotta tell yeah. you? Oh, but, it, but it's starting with that mindset yeah. of can we replicate this over and over again? It's just like franchising a restaurant. You know, you want to start if you like have a mom and pop like hot dog place, and you want to franchise it. You have to build those replicable processes at that first place, and then just put them on a new hot dog place in a new city. And that's kind of what we're trying to do. We build a replicable process and model in Detroit. And that model theoretically should be able to work in the Dude, DC work area. everywhere. If you can make it work in Detroit, yeah. it'll work everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But you brought up a good point. Ignoring the short-term money that, that doesn't coincide with your long-term goals, yeah. or your long-term strategy. I imagine that's a problem for a lot of startups, right? You get going, you get offers, get bought out. You can go, you see business opportunities everywhere. You're hanging around amazing people who have amazing opportunities. Mm-hmm. I imagine it's very easy to get sidetracked. So you actually have a process for making sure, as you said, if you can't scale the promise to everyone, yeah. you don't do it. Right? Yeah, that's a classic trap in early startup companies where um, – you know, the founders have like a vision of something that will be like scalable and will let it grow like very large in the future. But then there's like uh, a project in the short term that's like pretty lucrative, but involves them making a lot of exceptions. And then it ends up basically turning into like a consulting gig. And then that like short term um, project that gives them more money has completely stopped them from working on what the company actually is, which is the vision of the scalable startup process. So we have to avoid that in miniature basically every time um, a potential customer calls up. Well, and then there's also, it's kind of like going through a desert, right? The longer you can sustain yourself through the desert, the more zeros you get at the end of it, right? Kind of like the Facebook model, push it, push it. The further you can defer it, the more zeros you get to to tack on. It doesn't mean you're not adding zeros now. Yeah. But would you say that's true? Like the further you can push it down the line, the more you'll make? Yeah. So um, again, in like startup fundraising, the the scenario you, you want to be in is you don't need to fundraise, but if you do fundraise, you can increase your growth. So um, like for us, for instance, uh, if we if we like could change tomorrow to become like revenue positive, then that puts us in a really strong fundraising position because we can say to investors like, hey, we don't really need you, so you don't have that much leverage over us. But if we take your money, then we'll be able to grow a lot more like we want um, instead of being on the side of, um, you know, depending on them to, like you said, make it through that desert. Well, you think when you're thinking about selling big and thinking big, thinking big and selling big, was that something that was taught to you guys in Venture America, or did you have it already? Because you guys are young. How old are you, Tim? I'm 26. 26. I'm 26 as well. Yeah, so you're, you're young men. Sorry, that's my phone. No problem. Um, you're young men, and Castle's been ongoing for... Just over a year. Just over a year, mm-hmm. right? So did you did you have to be taught that way of thinking, or did you already kind of have it? 
Hmm. Um, you know, just personally, I've been interested in like um science and the future for a very long time. Like read a lot of science fiction when I was young, got think magazines like Popular Science or Scientific American, and those publications and those like ideas are always very forward thinking and very like future oriented, like routinely speculating about things that could happen in 2050, 2100, or in the case of sci-fi, like thousands of years in the future. So I think that I have had through that interest have had like a general predilection for looking far into the future. Um, And then I think it was refined in college when I, and I started as a physics and philosophy double major. I had to drop the philosophy when I switched to engineering and that just became a full course load. But through a philosophy, um, I ended up being able to take like a much wider perspective on things and be able to think like much past the particulars of my own life and my lifetime. Um, so both of those, I think, personally have contributed to be able to think on very long time scales. When it, I mean, that's like the thinking big side of things, the selling big side yeah. of things, like where, where I come into the picture, my background, like I've worked for companies that have had like the same venture funding, kind of the same loosely like software as a service model. And I've seen them try to sell big, but in ways that aren't sustainable, that are detrimental to a team that, you know, aren't really satisfying to a customer. So I'm able to bring that experience into a place like Castle, where it's essentially like a clean slate. We really can build a new process and a new sales process and growth process around acquisition in a way that, at least in my little experience, I've seen it done okay and I've seen it done poorly and try to build that on top of Castle in a way that like makes our team comfortable, makes our growth sustainable, makes our sales team prioritize the big fish that we think we can work well with, but discount like the really big fish that Tim was mentioning that would expect us to change our core philosophy or our core yeah. model in a way that wouldn't allow us to replicate that. You know, we, I think Max and I do a lot of the selling at Castle and we see it every single day of a, we'll have a large customer. They'll have 400 properties in Detroit. They want to work with us, but they want us to create customized investor reports every two weeks that's sent out to their other network of investors in Hong Kong. And yeah. it's just like, I'd love to no. take the 400 properties. We'll do them today, but we're not going to do that. And that, no. that disqualifies them and that sucks, but you know, we just can't do that. I don't, I've never heard of anybody at do, do other property management companies do that. I think it's, there's some all a card services. I think a lot of those companies might promise those things on day one. And then, you know, the promises that some other property management companies will make are, uh, outside of the realm of my understanding of that's a problem with sales, <laughs> right? Sales, yeah. there's uh, promises yeah. or you know, like wishes, right. yeah, or yeah but they don't have Tim or... yelling at them with yeah. promises. Yeah. <laughs> we like to under promise and over deliver here instead of the opposite, which is what I think people are, are have unfortunately come to expect in the property management industry. I think in the cases with the bigger fish, too, like that, the companies that they hire, the managers they hire, like that is their only client. Whereas us, like we are absolutely not going to be someone's like only um, or only going to depend on one client. Yeah, that seems like that would be really short sighted to only depend on one client because if they go, you're just done, right? Yeah. And then you have all the infrastructure for 400 properties and they just, oh, we're going. Like, it's oh. all customized to their needs. And then yeah. maybe other people. By the way, Christmas is canceled. <laughs> no. Cry yourself asleep. <laughs> oh, God, my startup. No, you, you brought up a good point. Barry, and I want to, 
I'm kind of curious about how far you go. So you said selling in a way that, um, what'd you say? Selling in a way that benefits all the other employees or the, all the other employees appreciate. Did you have an example yeah, about that? So it trickles down. Um, in most startup companies, you're going to have a sales team and you're going to have, uh, in, at least in our industry, the, the way it's kind of structured is there's sales and then there's a team after the sale is closed, typically like an account management team that manages that relationship. And then there's a support team as well that, you know, customers can call into and ask questions. So those three tiers need to kind of sync up in a way that, uh, the, the flow works well and that there's communication between all of those. So if there's any break in that chain, you know, the sales team suffers or the support team suffers. So it all starts with the sales team. The sales team goes out is the first touch point for a customer is responsible for setting expectations, promising a great service, but at the same time, uh, qualifying our services in a way that don't lead to a misset expectation when we can't deliver. So if I go out and a customer has 10 properties with us, I need to let them know exactly how their properties will come on with us, when they'll be charged money, um, how they can expect maintenance work to be done in a really clear and compelling way. But the second I say something, and I've certainly done this in the past where, you know, you learn and you make mistakes and we do that every day here, but the second, every day, every day, you every gotta, day, you guys have every day, but I like, screw up every day. The second I say, Hey, we're going to promise a tenant tenant in uh, two weeks Oops. and it's three weeks later. They're not calling me anymore. They're calling Tim and the management team and Barry said it'd it. be rented already. <laughs> Barry. And he sits next to me and we both live in the same house. And like, that's, it's a problem. So you like, can't avoid it. <laughs> it, gets weird. It gets weird. Yeah. Tim's everywhere. <laughs> so Barry, did you tell him two weeks? No, yeah. that is a problem. Um, that also happens. I think it's more prone in corporations where there's less, I don't know, supervision or whatever, mm-hmm. or less. You, it seems like you guys have a plan for everything. So is there like a Barry, this is how you sell like, don't say this, don't say that. There's you like to develop there, before you went out there. There's a general like flow in the sales process based on who our com- customer is. Like I'll say something different to an international investor that has 50 properties than I would to a customer that lives in Michigan that has two properties that they acquired from their parents or something like that. Um, but generally our service is pretty standard. You know, we're offering $79 a month to rent or uh, manage your property and the services that we provide are pretty traditional to a property management company. We're providing, there's like four main things that property management companies provide generally. It's marketing and listing of a property. It's finding a good tenant. It's collecting rent and it's coordinating maintenance. That's what's important to every one of our customers about property management. And the thing that makes us different is our cool pricing structure. It's just one fee. And we, by the way, we have this cool technology that you can use if you want to, but really our team is going to use it more so that we can make our processes more efficient. Mm-hmm. Are you interested in signing up? And if they're like, uh, like those, those things in my mind should be compelling enough to a lot of people that have dealt with property managers in the past. They're different. And if they're like, yeah, it sounds cool, but I need X, Y, and Z for this to work. It's my job to be upfront and just say, cool, like might not be the best decision because if I say, yeah, we'll take on those 10 units right now. And then I have to disappoint them later. I'm still wasting my time. I'm getting yelled at on the phone. Tim's angry at everybody else. Everybody's time is wasted, which like from a bottom line revenue or uh, profit and loss perspective, our time is money. So the less time I can, or the less of our team's time that I can waste in the sales process in the future through setting expectations clearly up front, like that only leads to future success. If my expectations are clear, then they're not going to be calling us every single day to have clarifications. And if they're not, it's just the opposite. Well, one of the things I like about it is the transparency. I just knew what was going on all the time. 
Yep. That's a, I mean, I'm on support tickets basically all day. That's a lot of what the management is. And, um, every time someone writes in to say like, you know, they used to write in be like, when's the next showing date? Then that's a sign that we need to make that feature. And then it goes in the app and then they never have to write in again. Uh, or things like, uh, like, so when, that's thinking long term right. again. Yeah. Now we're, because th- we're, you're like, I don't want to ha- type this up every exactly. single time. Right. Yes. So that's how, that's how we develop the entire product really is we do think like we just started doing like completely traditional management, um, minus like the fee structure we always wanted to be different. But, um, basically as soon as a customer would want something, we'd be like, okay, it's time to build that thing. We didn't try to like plan out in advance, like, oh, this is how like a master property management like system would work. Um, we just were very open to listening to what our customers wanted. And that is sort of snowballed into the product that we have now. Um, the wider philosophy behind that, I would say, <clears throat> is about, and even in the companies like inner workings, is the difference between um, time telling and clock building which is a metaphor that goes is from built to last. I think you read that one. Yeah. So is that built to last? Built to last is, gee, I don't know who it's by built to last here. Keep talking. I'll Google it. Yeah. Yeah. So built to last is a, a pretty famous business book and it is a dissection of like companies, large companies that have continued to be successful or that have ended up like floundering. Um, and the author's central contention is that um, the leadership, the way leadership is done at the organization is the key difference. And he um, divides the leadership styles into two camps. Time-telling, which is very like person-based, um, where like if you, um, as like a entry-level worker, have a question, you like have to go to your manager or the VPs have to ask like the CEO, whatever, every time, um, like I said, very people focused, like that person who's in charge, like knows everything is directing everyone. Like Steve jobs, right? Uh, maybe he, maybe that's the perception. It seems like, yeah. He, Having like sort of a dictator at the top, yeah. that would be a very like time telling sort of, yeah, okay. Whereas his claim is the successful companies have more, a culture of building clocks where the people in charge try to, take the like knowledge out of their brains and like put it into a system um, so that anyone can access that sort of information or like the procedures anytime. Um, And then it's not so person dependent. Um, You know, it's less power for the people at the top, but it ends up empowering all the people below them to make their own decisions and have the most information and transparency. Um, And that kind of ties into our product where a traditional management, I think, is more about time telling. Where, like, for instance, in your case, you had to call them yeah. and be like, "What's up?" And they knew. And they, in this case, were not helpful and couldn't tell you. No. But in theory, would tell. It should you. have been. Right? Yeah. Whereas us, we the whole product is um, the sort of clock building philosophy where I don't have to call you some, at yeah, all. Someone asks us one time, and we're like, "Okay, we need to like build a clock for this thing that they're asking for," and then it goes on the product, and they don't have to ever ask us again. So this is so. By the way, it's Jim Collins and yes. Jerry Por- Poras. I'm sorry, and I'll put this in the show notes. I'm I'm sorry, Jerry Poras, if I pronounce your last name wrong. So you're talking a good point there about putting the knowledge in your head into a system. This is where like the Slack and all these kind yeah. of apps are coming. This is very strange to me. I I think I'm the time person, mm-hmm. and I need to be more like the clock. clock. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
personally anyway for me i i catch myself doing that kind of stuff i'm like what am i doing and then i have a hard time adopting these things like like slack i gotta somehow force this into my life but barry selling big yeah how how do you how do you sell big and sell small because you do both right yeah. you sell big and you sell small 100 yeah, yeah. I, I, like our product works for a big or a small customer um, but from the philosophy of like selling big or selling small, like let's not even think about it in terms of like the number of units or the number of revenue, like selling big to me, uh, or, or selling small, at least like that means selling on a personal level. Um, I'm not necessarily selling my company or my product. I'm selling like Barry as an individual that is like a trustworthy person that you feel free to call up and that sounds like a reasonable human being. And that is somebody that you would want to do business with that would be happy to take you out to lunch. Like just a nice guy. Like I'm on the phone to present myself, not as a pushy salesman. I'm selling small in the sense that I'm just another person that would like to provide you a good service. Like, would you be interested? The selling big mentality is finding out, uh, kind of goes back to the, the processes thing that we're talking about. If I can sell to one customer using this one method, or I can find new customers using this one or two methods that I have, like how can I repeat those over and over again so that we can continue to drive customers? Like if I put in a thousand dollars to um, this type of marketing channel that that I'm interested in, I should know every time I put in a thousand dollars, I get out four thousand dollars in annual recurring revenue. Like I need to know what those scalable processes are when I'm spending money to acquire customers. So selling small to me means like talking to an individual as a customer and a human being and selling big is understanding how to replicate sales channels over and over again. And you try one out, you spend some money. If there's no ROI in that channel, you don't ever spend money there again. But if you spend money in one channel and you see a positive outcome, like keep throwing money at it. It's going to keep working. So understanding if you're not doing it in a way that you can like you focus on a channel and you invest your time in tracking the data behind it, then you're doing yourself a disservice by, you know, if, if I have 50 channels that I want to go spend money on right now and I just willy nilly throw money at all of them, I don't really know how to track if we're making money in any of those. So what we do is we'll spend money in one channel. We'll see if it works. We'll track the data and the numbers behind it. And if it doesn't, we'll move on and find another channel that does work. So that's how I think about selling big is finding a channel repeating it over and over again and knowing what the outcome is going to be before I even start. Like if a thousand dollars goes in, $4,000 is going to come out. And when you know that, that just becomes super simple. Selling small is on a personal level. That makes sense. I feel like this is how the TV industry is dying, right? Cause they're still doing the shotgun approach to where they have like surveys that have people fill out on this many people watch this to show or, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is very strange to me, especially having, wasted tons of money in advertising doing exactly what you just advised against because so that was great advice by the way track everything mm. be accountable for every dollar um it's really easy to get suckered into like magazine and you can uh, magazine advertising without a way to track it an unaccountable way of advertising where you just send them to your regular website and there's no way to tell i spent two thousand dollars in this magazine i got x number of sale and you just don't know you know, and, and I, you guys must be doing something right because I go to your website and then everywhere I go, castle, castle, castle. castle. Oh, the retargeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's magical. Castle. How do you how do you guys do that? 
our friends over at Adroll, uh, yeah. this is not sponsored. Um, yeah, so, I mean, our whole thought is this is a long sales process. Uh, a good real estate investor should probably be looking for a property management a month or two months in advance of the purchase of their home. So hopefully they're finding Castle through one of our channels and seeing what our services are. And if they come to our website, we don't really want them to forget about us. Like It's very cheap for me to advertise in a way that retargets customers. All it is is you come to our website, it knows you came to our website, it's going to throw up some advertising on ESPN when you go to ESPN. Maybe that's two months later. Maybe you're like, oh, yeah, who is that property management company? You didn't have to talk to anybody. You just, it's kind of in your face. I love it. Cool. I love that's the, That's, I don't, uh, this is how advertising should be. Yeah. Why would I want to watch diaper commercials if I don't have a baby? Yeah. Right. If, I, if I'm looking for property management, something somewhere should be like, shit, this guy's looking for property. Sell him everything. Yeah. Who, who's the highest bidder? All right. Number one. Number two, here you go. And then you go to the website and it just follows you everywhere. I You're love it personally. Engaged, yeah. I don't have to do any work. You found us through one of our other channels and I'm glad you visited the website, but I don't really know. I can't call you at that point. You didn't give me any information. So, but what you did do is your, your computer gave the other computer some information and it'll follow you around. It's like technology top of mind. It just kind of follows <laughs> you everywhere. And Barry didn't have to do it. Barry could be sleeping, yeah. Tim's sleeping. And here we are, advertising. Yeah. <laughs> Still, in our sleep. And, and the zeros and ones yeah. of the internet is uh, hunting you down on your ESPN site when you're trying to, wait a second, I know those guys. It's, it's, it's everywhere. But you touched, you touched on another interesting point, though, a few, a few minutes ago where you said, like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to advertise in a magazine or I don't know if I want to advertise in a commercial. Like, we're open to advertising on any type of medium, and we're willing to try it once, and, you know, we're not going to know it until we try it. And we can afford to try it once. And if we can track the outcome and the outcome is somebody signs up to receive a little bit more information and they're required to say how they heard about us, it's that simple. They saw Tim's picture on a billboard. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Cool. Like at least we know that somebody is engaged through that. But if they're just willy nilly come to the website and there's no way to convert them, if you will, and for us to follow up, then we have no way to know if that's a, a, a good way to track them. We're willing to try any advertising medium though. Like we don't know until we try it. Yeah. yeah, you just have a system for accountability, right? Yeah. So you know when you spend money, X is going to happen. And if it doesn't, you don't do it again. Yep. Experimentation and metrics. Basically science. We're doing science around here. Well, science, But you're also forcing yourself to think bigger and longer, too, every time. That's so why I love this topic. Yeah. I was like, we got to talk about these guys. Because yeah. it seems like everything is part of this. You, just, you come out here a little bit and you're like, whoop. Here we go back in and we're coming back in. We're thinking longer. We're adding more zeros. We're adding more time. How long do you think the typical sales process lasts? You said, I don't know if you have really strong numbers or how far out you're thinking. Are you thinking in weeks, months, years? We're thinking in weeks. Um, it's variable based on a customer's portfolio. Again, if they have 50 units and they're an international customer, their sales cycle is going to be three to four weeks. Uh, if they are looking to switch their property management company. If they already have 50 units, they're probably using somebody else and their barrier to switch is going to be higher. If you just bought two properties and you find us through some channel online and it look, it's a really low barrier of entry that we're crossing and my three-minute sales pitch on a phone call is most of the time all I need for a customer to just be like, cool, send me the management agreement. I'd love to sign up right now. Like It can go a day and it can last three weeks with a bigger customer, but it's just understanding your customer persona and how they will react and how long it will likely take to convert them. So I understand that if you have 50 units, you're going to really want to know me before signing up. So I'm going to treat you a little bit different. I'm going to send you different information. I'm going to spend a little bit more money up front. 
Um, but if you're a one or two unit customer that just bought the properties, you know, my expectation is you should close pretty quick. And if you don't, then we're probably not the right fit. And it's not a good use of my resources or our company's resources to keep chasing you. I like how you change your sales pitch too. I don't, I- this annoys me when people don't do this. It annoys me when people sell me and I told them what was important hmm. and then they launch into their regular sales pitch that they sell to everybody. Like everybody wants the same thing. So I like that you tailor your sales pitch to the individual that you're working on. Yeah. Cause I imagine somebody who has 50 units, it might actually be months, right? Yeah. Maybe they're just only partially like, meh, I don't really like who I'm with, but it's not that bad. Yeah. If I switch, it could be a lot worse. Or it could be better. Yeah. So the sell there is, all right, cool. Like, I understand it's a pretty big barrier to entry. Like, we'd love to start out with two of your properties, show there you how you Great Castle is. Um, if you're happy with our services, you know, we'd love to take on the rest and help you grow. But if it's like a one or two person customer, like they just acquired a property through like their parents or a will or something like that, great. You know, like, thanks for calling us. Here's how we start out with the property. Here's like the exact details about how to get started. Um, you give them like, uh, a more like detailed next step. It's not like this long-term sale uh, or foreseeable long-term sales process. And if there's like a lot of objections up front, we can be pretty confident that it's probably not a good fit. If they, if there's a lot of objections for a one or two unit prop or customer that, you know, has very specific needs, you know, I'm happy to direct them to somebody that like will be happy to accommodate those needs. Whereas we can't, we're like, I guess we're probably like the Uber X of the Uber industry. Like we brought a really good basic service and it's going to be awesome and it's really cheap and you know what's going on. We're not giving you like the black car bells and whistles service that you can pay more for that. We're just, we're not equipped to do it. Mm-hmm. I've never had it. So I don't know if it exists. Never, you ever, ta- never taken the black car? It's my, it's, no, I've been taking the black car. Oh, it's in property <laughs> management. It's like a Yeti <laughs> or something, you know, do they really exist? I've heard of this thing. Like, uh, I, I don't know. I haven't been treated. I, I wouldn't say I've ever had luxury property management mm. service, I guess is what I'm saying. Maybe I just haven't been looking far or hard enough. Um, Barry, if you don't mind, and obviously don't say anything that you can't say or whatever, sure. I'm interested in your in your sales process and your pipeline, uh-huh. right? So, and because that's what I do. Uh-huh. I do sales all day. I dial. So I'm always interested in this. And I know people, whole life is selling, whether you're selling property, insurance, groceries, yourself, your attitude, your idea. We're always selling. What does your pipeline look like and how do you manage the leads that come in, how they get touched? I know some of it's probably automated, some of it's personal. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Obviously, no trade secrets, right? Oh, no trade secrets. It's all like our sales process is like right from like a software as a service sales playbook. Uh, the, the funnel looks the same. The acquisition looks pretty similar. Um, so from like a top of funnel standpoint, that's kind of what we were talking about before. We have a vision of 20 to 40 channels where we could potentially find a customer that would be interested in Castle. And every month, Max and I's job is to try out a new channel, spend some money on it, track the metrics, and see if it's working. So we're always interested in trying to find that top of funnel uh, engagement and getting new customers, getting new email addresses, getting new phone numbers so we can reach out. Um, so from an acquisition standpoint, it's try a channel, see if it works, move on if it doesn't, keep spending money if it does. Once we have an engaged customer, though, the processes should be pretty streamlined. So let's just say we have a lead. Somebody signs up on our website. They say that they have three units. You know, From any type of a company that is selling some service, if somebody signs up on your website and they're engaged, I don't know if you do this. I'm sure you do just as a salesman. But somebody shows engagement within five minutes that is a phone call or that is an email follow-up saying, 
here's what we do. Here's what our services are. We've automated a lot of these processes through mm-hmm. services like Thumbtack or through Angie's List where we don't, I don't even have to do anything. Some, we have a bot that just responds to them. Somebody is automatically knows somebody at Castle is engaged. But if it's somebody that just like signs up for an owner's account or fills out an interest form on our website, the immediate thing to do, and I'd be, I'm so shocked every single day by other management companies that fail to do this, is if you can't call somebody back in five or ten minutes after their initial touch point, that's their most interested point. And when they receive a phone call immediately thereafter, they're not like pissed to hear from you. They're not like disturbed to be talking to somebody. Like they want that information. They're clearly interested. And even if they're busy right then, you call them back later. That just that initial touch point is super important. So that's where I see a lot of companies fail is how they react when there is an interested customer. If you don't have like a, like we don't have some freemium model where a lot of other technology companies do. Like we don't have this model where you sign up for your services and we give them to you for free for a while. Like it would be crazy if we did. Like yeah. if you're a property owner and you want to sign up with Castle and somebody you're trusting them to manage your property, like it just doesn't work. So you need to know that the person on the end of the phone is like going to respond, going to pick up, like going to be attentive to your needs. And when you sign up for something, they call you back in five minutes. Like that's like the number one, one rule of Max and I when we sell our customers. Um, as far as the pipeline is concerned though, how do you track your, like, what, how do you keep track of your, your pipeline? Well, I, I have CRM, cool. right? Nice. So what do you use? We use Zoho. We okay. Use Zoho, right? So they, they come in as one status mm-hmm. and then it's my job to push them to yes or no. Mm-hmm. And there's a series of steps. If I call, nobody answers, I leave a message. Mm-hmm. There's automated emails that go out texting at some point will be added into it. And then I call and I call and I call. Hopefully I get a conversation on the phone mm-hmm. and then I can find out if they're motivated and if the property qualifies. Yep. And if not, that's one thing I do is I do refer them out to somebody that can help them. Mm-hmm. That's the idea behind getting more referrals in the future. Maybe they're going to tell their friend. It doesn't hurt to be decent to people, even if I can't ben- benefit from it immediately. Right. right. That's something that annoys me people, by the way, just because they don't immediately benefit you doesn't mean you can't help them and they can't immediately, they can't benefit you in the future. So, and I try and get them to yes or no, set an appointment mm-hmm. or end up on some sort of follow-up marketing because mm-hmm. a certain, only a certain percentage of people are actually ready to do something now. Yeah. So I want some sort of automated follow-up marketing, which we have, yep. which is it's mostly emails. And then I call once a month, generally yeah. speaking. And if you can get on a cycle and your team can get on that kind of a cycle where it's regimented, like we have, we use a, a software called Streak to track our customers that are uh, pre-close um, or they, they go through like the sales process and then they're out of Streak and they go into our application. But Streak is the same thing as a Zoho. You know, it's a CRM, it's managing your customers, but it allows for like automatic trip campaigns for certain segments. Like if they, if like if I sent them a contract for instance, and that's like pretty far along in our stage, you know, they've clearly been engaged. They've told me a few things about their property. I've qualified the property. They're at a point where I've spent enough time to send them a contract. All they need to do is sign it. Um, I'm going to automatically send emails or just save emails that I can replicate over and over again that are not aggressive, but they're clearly saying, look, we're at the final stage of this. Here's our services. Here's kind of what you're missing out on. We're ready to go when you are. Whereas at the top of the funnel, it's more of, like you said, setting an appointment getting them to answer the phone, being persistent. Yeah, um, the closer they get to the end of the funnel, the more pressure uh, the, and the more, uh, the more I call, I'll call every day. Yeah. I'll call several times a day sometimes if I'm that close. Right. Cause 
<laughs> at least in my position, not everybody is in the best state of mind. Mm. And I want to stay top of mind. Yeah. And they might talk to their neighbor or they usually have multiple things going wrong in their life too. <laughs> right. So I don't pass judgment. I just, I'm persistent. Yeah. And one of the cool things about like our industry or just the selling model in general is now that we have all this software that can automate these types of emails for us and you get somebody that is engaged, but you haven't really talked to them too much, or maybe you've had one phone call with them, you can set them up on these types of drip campaigns where it goes through like four or five stages of like, you don't have to do anything as the salesperson. You spend zero time doing it. They're in one stage. They haven't called you back. They're going to immediately get like this five series email and like the most effective email in all of these that has like a huge conversion rate is what the industry kind of refers to as like a breakup email. It's the email that you send. Like your first email is like, Hey, here's what we do. Your second email is love to set a call. Like here's kind of what you're missing out on. The third email is trying to drive a little bit more urgency around like, Hey, we only have a few more spots left this month. The fourth email is like, sorry, am I wasting your time? And the fifth email is like, Hey, I'm going through my pipeline today and I'm doing all my follow-ups and you know, you haven't paid any attention to me for two weeks. You know, sorry, I'm taking you out of the pipeline. Give me a call. If you want to talk in the future, best of luck. And it's incredible how much urgency that drives on the customer's perspective. They, they've seen the metrics they've clearly read these emails and it's, it's like a tactic where you can, you're kind of breaking up with them. You're just telling them like, sorry, we're probably not the best fit, but it's incredible to see the amount of people that will follow up on that email and reach back out just because you're kind of telling them, Hey, it's not you, it's me, but we're done. And they, they still want to be involved in some level. So that's how, that's, that's how we set calls easy. I yeah. like that. So yeah. I, I have not done that recently. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I should. I used to, I used to sometimes say when I couldn't get somebody on the phone, usually after six times, that's mm -hmm. like my six times, yeah. sometimes seven. And that's generally I'm walking away and I say, Hey, sorry, I haven't heard back from you. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. I'm sorry. I wasn't able to do anything for you. I'm just letting you know that I'm taking you out of the system. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you change your mind, you have to start the process uh, back over mm -hmm. as of beginning of business tomorrow. Yep. Three, one, three, blah, 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 yep. blah, blah. Right. So, but I haven't done that recently. It's interesting if you would try it with like something that's An email. written though. Yes. Yeah. Cause then you can track it. You can see if they've opened it. Um, there are other metrics that you can gauge their response with on there. And, um, that's where like when it's written down and it's like in their inbox and maybe they just really haven't had a chance to look at it for a while. But when their first one in their inbox is like a breakup email from Jeremy and like, Oh that, no. Yeah. He's going to leave me. What a nice guy. Yeah. I would like to talk oh, to him again. He sent me all those emails. <laughs> no, I think it, I think it's a great idea. And also I did want to draw attention to <clears throat> your thinking long term. You're thinking as long out as you can, but you're also working fast. From the time somebody contacts you, you actually said five minutes. Your goal is within five minutes for them to re receive something from you, an email, yep. a phone call, something, letting them know that, hey, you, you came here. Thanks for coming. Let's see if I can't get you a little further down this line, right? Well, it's so you're working fast, too. Yeah, and I, I mean, you probably have this experience a lot when you're trying to, like, have somebody else provide a service for mm -hmm. us, like our, our management or our uh, contractor network. Like, I'm always shocked when you give somebody a call and, like, calling somebody to provide plumbing services. Like just nobody answers the phone. And if nobody's it's amazing like, to me, yeah. they're yeah. providing a service where we have money. We'd be, lo we'd love to give it to them, but we just need to, we just need to talk to somebody. And that's where, that's where a lot of these, it's like the first, it's the easiest thing to do. Just answer the phone. You guys going to fuck up the plumbing world after this? <laughs> well, <laughs> watch out plumbers. <laughs> <laughs> we prefer to, instead of going into their industry, just bring them into our industry as it were. So there's a feature in the app 
that managers have access to where contractors who we've worked with enough, they, we know that they're reliable, they provide good prices, that they're excited to work for us. We get them in the products in our app as contractors. Genius. And then you can assign it to them like exactly, a task. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. Yep. Yeah. We just say like today, for instance, someone was like, my thermostat isn't working. Like it eats batteries. I have to go into the basement and like turn off and on the furnace. And so normally when we first worked with this company, AAC services, which I highly recommend for your HVAC needs in Metro Detroit, um, I would just call them. They're very friendly. I like talking to them on the phone, but, um, you know, it's it's synchronous as we say it's like it depends on me being available and them being available um and it takes more time than me now just um there's a little drop down of all our contractors available i just on the issue that's in the system that owners and tenants already see i just add ac services it has the name and contact information the tenant if it's tenanted or we'll put in the like lockbox information usually if it's untenanted they just go to work um Usually it's pretty straightforward. They just upload an invoice. We pay them also online. It's all taken care of. I love that. By the way, yeah. folks, intercastle.com, intercastle.com. Hit them up on Twitter at intercastle and uh, go to rebirthrealtydetroit.com if you want to know about the story about this house. And I'll make sure I include the link to the third episode I did with Castle. And uh, I think I think you should definitely listen to it. So, Thinking long-term and thinking big and thinking zeros, selling big, all that, um, it's it's very interesting to me to hear you guys speak. So you have a set of criteria. So when you sit down, you have a set of criteria. Mm-hmm. Is this across the entire business? Is this across your entire life? Um, what does that look like? Because- you know, I'm kind of trying to reformulate Jeremy, you know? Sure. We're going to call this Jeremy 5.0, maybe. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> something, yeah. something like that. So <laughs> one of the things I have a tendency to do mm-hmm. as I go both ways, I say yes to everything. And the last several years I've been saying no to everything. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to me that the more time I spend with people like you is I don't really have a checkbox, a yes no, yes, no. I have an idea what I want and where I'm going. But the startup culture, and this is something I don't see in real estate, except Mm -hmm. for from a few people, which I will have on the podcast, where they're thinking big and they have these things. And they're most people's like opportunities come, they hop on the opportunity. Yeah. And they're just kind of going through and seeing how far they can get on this, where where it seems to me like you guys have structured, like somehow we're going to fall between these lines. And this is going to help us think long, help us think big, help us sell big. What does that? What does exactly does that look like? And how far do you go into your life? I'm just curious. Yeah. So the strategic planning we do at Castle, uh, we use this system called OKRs, which stands for Objectives and Key Results. Um, initially, I think created or at least popularized by John Doerr, formerly of Intel, um, and the biggest company that uses. The strategic planning method right now is Google. Whoa. Yeah, so a testament to its effectiveness for sure. Good enough for Google, good enough for me, right? Yeah, so yeah. we've actually, you can't see this in the video, but we have written up here our two 
is our OKR for the for the quarter, quarter for 2015. Um, Remind me to check the pictures that we took, too, that I didn't make sure I get that in the picture because yeah. we stood there. Remind Actually, me yeah. to check. Okay. You'll be right. You'll be yeah. right behind us in that picture. That's yeah. right. So um, objectives and key results. Basically, the objective is the written like sentence of what you want in that. Usually, it's done on a quarterly basis, so in that quarter. And then the key results are the um, objective, measurable ways that you're going to... Uh, achieve that objective. So in our case, quarter four, the objective is achieve minimum viable efficiency. That's like, basically we, we know that we are more efficient than traditional property management, but we think there's a minimum viable efficiency that makes us like a radically different type of business instead of just a pretty good property management business. Radically. I like that. Radically. Absolutely. And, um, that's reflected in we have an efficiency metric. How many units can one of our managers handle at once? Um, and as of this episode, it stands at 113. And our goal is 150. So got to get more efficient this quarter, but we're on the right track. Um, and then units under management. Basically, we need a big enough sample size to know that we can be that efficient over a lot of units because we want to grow very large. And so right now, I think... I think the board's slightly out of date, maybe. What's, We're at like 198. Yeah, yeah. okay. Out hovering of, around 200. Out of 330 is our goal for the end of this quarter. So, Better and that, get to work, Barry. That's, yeah. <laughs> no pressure, big guy. 25% month over month. Yeah, yeah. So it keeps get getting bigger. <laughs> you were looking a little grayer. No, I'm just so, <laughs> and the, the, the beauty of OKRs is that um, the system, like, um, is like repeats itself all the way down to the bottom of the company. So like um, the idea is that even the like lowliest entry level worker at a company that uses OKRs can trace a direct line from their OKRs all the way up to the company's OKRs. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So it's, it's very nice when, when people can see like, okay, the work that I'm doing now, like directly contributes to the company in this fashion. So all the employees at Castle have personal OKRs. And then there's also the um, software development team has OKRs and uh, like as an, as a team and the business team has a set of OKRs again as a team. I love it. So th- it's really, truly a plan and everybody has actionable, viable, mm-hmm. recordable, trackable objectives that they, they have to hit. And then the team has one and then the company, all the teams have their own yes. and then the company is a large have their own. And it's very clear from one person to the, to the lowest person to the highest person, what everybody needs to do and where they're going. And so everybody's working off the same map essentially. Yeah. And then you do it on a quarterly system because you know, like you need to, sometimes you need to adjust or we're, like, we're primates, right? Yeah. You know, you can't, and the now is for me. It's almost paralyzing sometimes, right? Thinking long term, <laughs> a quarter, what a quarter, and yeah, a quarter century. Oh my god, my my brain just blew up. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to re reassess. Like we've had quarters where one of our OKRs, like it seemed like a fabulous idea at the beginning of the quarter, and by the end we had like completely failed at that key result. Let's say, but we were like, okay, we realized a month into the quarter that we actually didn't care about this thing we were measuring, and then neglected it and that's why we ended up failing so if you did it on any on a longer scale you it would require too much of being able to predict the future which people are notoriously bad at i suck at it yeah it's a it's a rare skill let's say <laughs> um so and then anything shorter i think would be 
would be too much. It also allows like the OKR system allows for your team to like, I mean, it's a good thing to talk about in this podcast. Thinking big is your OKRs are typically like a, a metric that doesn't quite seem achievable. Like meeting your OKRs means meeting 70 to 75% of them typically. Right. So you want to set a big number and put it out there and chase it. So we're always chasing a number that we hope to achieve, but achievement is 75% of that. So we always want to dream, like if we're hitting a hundred percent of it, we didn't set it high enough. So right. think we're always trying to think big when it comes to our OKRs. Well, yeah, that's something that's always confused me is if you got a hundred percent, did you really test your ability? I, I don't, to this day, I can't figure out why we test that way. Um, fortunately, the Navy changed that for me. They, they, they don't like tests where you can get a hundred percent. They make it real hard, so everyone. The At least through the, the, like the nuclear program that I went through, yeah. The, yeah. The, in fact, after I went through, um, not because of me, no. I, I, I mean, I was like <laughs> top twenty, but there were some guys that went through that, out of five thousand points, missed like twenty. Wow, so they made it harder. Oh yeah, they yeah. went through and rewrote it because <laughs> he aced too many tests. In yeah. uh, his name was Dirk, by the way, smartest man I ever met in my entire life. He's basically like a walking genius, right? Alcohol problem. He's probably dead now. I'm sorry if you're not. Um, Dirk, but <laughs> the idea that by getting everything right, that you've tested your knowledge, well, if, if you hit your goal, wouldn't that be disappointing? I don't know. seems to me it is. If I did, you always want like, man, I could have just made a little bit, but not so far that you feel like you can't get anything done. Right. How right. do you measure that? I mean, do you just take a stab at it and do better next time or, uh, it's a mix. So, um, you know, for our units under management goal, for instance, like Barry alluded to earlier, the acceptable like startup growth rate is about 25% month over month. So for this goal of 330, we took the number of units we had at the beginning of quarter four. Then we said, okay, what does that look like if we grow 25% month over month for those three months? And we were like, okay, we need to grow like that fast to be a great startup. So that should be our goal. Some of the other numbers are a little fuzzier. Um, like for instance, the, Software development team has, I think this quarter, like X number of like major features rolled out. Like it's up to them what a major feature is. And like five seems like a good number based on how many features we rolled out in previous quarters. But there's no like strict math that dictates that five is an appropriate number. So it's a little bit of a judgment call. OKRs are also supposed to be collaborative. Like the way we do it is, um, you think about what you want, like for a team or for individual ones. You come in the meeting, everyone in the company team or like your coworkers like talk about it, and then usually they have good feedback, and you you know make little adjustments or maybe pick a different objective entirely. Which brings me to my next question. This is something I suck at: conflict management and resolution. Mm. So if you guys have all these objectives, goals, all this stuff, right, and 25% month after month, that's pretty aggressive. Yeah. I know you guys got some money from some people who ask tough questions too. A lot of pressure. How do you guys manage this kind of stress and how do you how do you manage um well, maybe it's only cuz I so I suck so bad at this, mm. but how do you manage people and expectations and conflict? And kind of get to a resolution and keep keep moving forward. Because I feel like this is not this happens to everybody, right? They're trying to put yeah. a team together. And these are one of the common things that derail teams, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know how to do it. Like me, I've run a couple teams into the ground, right? I'm not the guy to be running a team <laughs> without some more training, right? You just have to know this about yourself. Sure. But maybe somebody listening and I could use it. How, how do you do that? So I think, <clears throat> you know, 
the best way to like treat conflict is to prevent it entirely. So the way we tamp down on conflict is by doing regular feedback amongst ourselves. So um, we have the co-founders have a feedback session that actually everyone in the company is invited to observe. Um, then more transparency. Yep, exactly. The business team has a feedback session and the software team has a feedback session. Um, so the way it works is uh, you get a survey like a few days before the feedback session is going to happen and you're supposed to fill it out for everyone else that you're going to be giving feedback to. So for instance, in the co-founder meeting, like I fill out the survey for Max and I fill it out for Scott. Um, and then um, I run the feedback um, like procedure. So I once everyone's filled all their results, uh, surveys in, I compile all the results, send them all out the day before the session. Then at the feedback session itself, you basically take turns receiving your feedback in person from the other people on your team. So again, in the case of the founders, like if it's my turn to receive the feedback first, like Scott will say like, here's what you did well, here's what you did poorly, here's what you could improve, et cetera, et cetera, anything you wrote down. Um, and there's also scoring on a one to six scale um, on some criteria. Then Max will go. Um, and then I'm supposed to be, um, basically like a passive recipient of it. Um, it's very important that you don't try to defend yourself during the feedback session because that can derail the whole thing into an argument. I was going to ask, how does this not end up with a punch being thrown? Right, exactly. So, so, especially considering everything, the, the stakes are high, let's face yeah. it, right? A lot of times the stakes are high. Yeah, I mean- Money, relationships, yeah, respect, ego, all, all of it, right? Yes. Very high. It takes a lot of training to be able to accept that feedback- for what it is. So the, probably the most common like reaction when you're new to it is to take it all like really personally and think that like people don't like you because of the things they want to improve about you. Um, but in time you come to recognize that a, they might not be right. Like they might not understand something that you understand, but you should just take what they're saying and be like, okay, they're, they're perceiving that. Yeah. They have a right to say it. Yeah. It it might not be the truth or you might, it might be subjective and you think it's wrong, but at the very least they got that opinion somehow and how can I fix it? Um, so that's why it's very important to be passive. You can ask clarifying questions, um, usually asking for examples of times where people are making generalizations. Um, but yeah, no, no talking back. I love specific examples, by the way, they're harder to get than you would think sometimes. Um, I don't know. Specific examples really work for me. Like, oh, because for some reason I have a hard time seeing it when I'm doing it because I'm a fucking maniac. But if you can go, remember this time, like, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yes. Yeah. 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 You also never want to be that person that, like, say I give Tim some feedback and he's like, all right, cool. Like, it's his turn to, like, respond and, like, ask questions. And he's like, can you remind me of a time that I did that? Like, I don't want to no. be giving feedback and be like, oh, well, I forgot. And then I look like a, yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. You do about. kind of look like a dickhead. Kind of like, <laughs> I think most of us, like, will take notes throughout the six week period in between the feedback sessions. Yeah. So like if I notice an example of something that I want to give feedback to Tim on, like I'll just write it down. I'll start document it. Feedback notes. Yeah. And then, so when he does good better, and bad, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Good and bad. Yeah. Cause you, you do have a board that's we do. We behind have a, me. We have a wall of accomplishments. It's digital now because we have a remote worker, but when it was just the three co-founders in this house, um, and then when our interns were here, um, we would have it all just be on that wall behind you, which is, has a bunch of post-it notes with, I'm going to do this in my house, by the way. My (laughs) wife and I have been talking about this. Oh, yeah. It's amazing because a lot of times people, like, even though it's free, like, praise and valuable, praise is rarely given out. 
but like criticism is very freely given out, even though it's often not very valuable and like maybe a negative. Um, I'm bad at this. Yeah. It's, it takes a lot of practice. I was in the same boat as you where I felt like people should be performing well and that should be like the default. And then you only need to call attention when people are doing a bad job. I could tell you that does not work at no. all. <laughs> yeah. The, the, it's, it's totally counter to human psychology yes. and how people, you know, create self-esteem and value for themselves. We are just wet apes uh, crawling around on a rock, spinning around a sun, right? <laughs> that's true. Our yeah. plans need to take that into account. Yeah. yeah. I figured out the hard way. That's, that's a bad way to go and, and not listen. Still, though. Not one fist fight, not one, uh, Mm-mm. no, I mean, occasionally people just get very like emotionally involved in a topic or something else was been distracting them. Like one time when we were living in this house and it wasn't really done, we were just getting oh, yeah. started with castle. It like, um, you know, at that time I don't think we had heat or hot water and like we, we were the former business model like wasn't going that well. And like to top it all off that morning, like some poop had come out of an open pipe in our basement. <laughs> That'll ruin anybody's yeah. day. Yeah. So then that cut like that Great caused poop. Like, some conflict. Poop. It was like, I, um, we were, it's like, You're just a feeling of like, we can't do it. Yeah. They're like, uh, this is like ridiculous. Like we, uh, this is like foolish. But then, you know, you sort of walk it back and be like, okay, let's, you take objective stock and, you know, you can look back on hopefully the things you've written down that are positive and be like, it's really not, it's not so bad. Like aliens when the, when the ship crashes and they call it in like, Oh, now what are we going to do? We're doomed. We're fucking doomed. Yeah. Is that what it was like that day? It's, yeah. It's game over, man. Yeah. It's game over. Try not to be like I'm moving back right in here. my parents' basement. <laughs> Fuck Detroit. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, moving is stressful too. So if you combine that with no hot water, no shower, no money, poop in the basement, yeah, yeah. I think that qualifies as yeah. a bad day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You take your, you take your goals. No, <laughs> <Shove> it, yeah, <laughs> take this job and shove it. Okay, so when you're planning for quarters, kind of go. I know I'm kind of pouncing around. This is how my mind works. Sure. When you're planning from quarters. Are you also breaking down a yearly goal to backwards? I mean, how far out are you really pushing it? Hmm. So the longer term planning, like we definitely have, I think everyone in the company has a vision of like where we want to end up in the long term, basically be like a national like household name for property management, be synonymous. Like you just get castle when you get rental property. It's just understood. Um, but, uh, the stuff in between the quarters and that eventual like indefinite goal, you know, it's, it's kind of folly to try to predict that far in the future. I guess it kind of comes up during fundraising, but yeah, you will be asked to like, let's put together a, a three year P and L and, you know, it's like predicting the weather three weeks out. Like you have no, you know, I don't know. Good, you, that's a good analogy. That's a good idea, but it's like... Is it going to rain in three weeks? You can't... Like, our our science only allows us to predict accurately four days into the future. Like, as far as the weather is concerned, with our financials, probably about a quarter into the future. But we can... I'll put in the numbers and the assumptions into a yeah. spreadsheet all day if somebody wants me to. <laughs> but, like, it's... It's exactly... It's folly. Like, there will be iterations that the company... Or there will be... That turns the company takes in that time. It's not going to be a consistent growth path. We're going to have to spend more money at weird times when we mess up, or maybe we'll get a big customer one month that's 
we hope we can average out to those numbers. But as far as planning is concerned, I, Tim nails it. You know, we have a long-term vision of what the company is. Like, yeah. we want people to say, like, and we, we strategically think about this when we brand the company, we don't call ourselves castle property management. We call ourselves castle. And like castle should be thought of from a tenant perspective that I want to rent a property that castle manages. I want to think about it from a customer perspective, like castle, like they, they're a technology company. They do property management. They're also just like nice gal, guys and gals over there. Like it's way more than just like castle property management incorporated. Yeah. Like, that's just so like it, it, it's silly. It's silly. I think the best analogy for that sort of planning, the two mindsets is climbing a mountain, not on a path because it breaks the analogy, but <laughs> like when you're climbing a mountain, like you can see the top, like you definitely know where you're trying to end up, but um, when you're climbing up, it's not so like you can see a few steps ahead of you or like up to the next bend in the, in the like path. But after that, it's kind of a mystery and you just have to be able to take it those one steps at a time while still keeping your like ultimate goal in mind. And then like the, like one mile out stuff, it doesn't really matter to what you're doing in the moment. That's true. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's, it also requires, and this is something as I get older, and you guys are young, so I'm not sure how you manage this. Um, thinking longer requires patience that is mm. very difficult for me. Uh, it is for me personally. Um, I don't know if it is for you guys. Let me put that out there. Is being patient difficult for you? Why or why not? And and how do you manage it? Because I have a lot of patient problems. I'm better now than I ever have been. Farming's kind of like reforming yeah. me, to making me a new person and thinking and seasons at least in mm. years where I was always like this week or this month or how much money or whatever. Do you have a problem with it? And how do you manage it if you do? Hmm. Well, you know, they say that delay, the ability to delay gratification is supposed to be like a good predictor of success. And there's that, I think maybe has been a little bit questioned recently, but that kind of famous marshmallow experiment with the kids. Do you yes, know what I'm talking no, yeah, about? absolutely. Yeah. So for anyone who's not aware, basically they, there's this famous psychology experiment uh, where they had, they take a bunch of like, I think like eight year olds or something like young kids and they put a bowl of marshmallows in front of them and they say like, okay, if you can, you can take one now or if you wait like five minutes, we'll give you two. And then they, so they do that study pretty early on in life and then um, they track those study participants like in later years in life and the, the results of the study are the kids who can wait to take the two marshmallows end up on like the more traditionally successful tracks where um, they are putting in like work up front to gain much more later down the road. So personally, well, we probably shouldn't talk about free will because we'll be here forever. I'm a huge Sam Harris fan. It's yeah, okay. Yeah, okay, yeah, there we yeah, go. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think <laughs> it's also reality, folks. Yeah, right? I think it's. I mean, it's Real kind of a crapshoot, like how how oriented you are based on your upbringing and genes towards. I was going to say, delayed. if you're raised with someone yeah. who lies to you all the time, I would have been the kid who ate the marshmallow right away because yeah. there's no there. There's no way you're going to get those two later. Yeah, I, I wasn't going to get the second marshmallow right. anyway, but. It is an exact reflection of my life. When you look at my life, impulse control was a serious problem for a quarter of a century, right? And really only the last 10 years have I like attempted to reform myself into something like someone who has impulse control. So I think the study is, at least as far as I can tell, not only are there more than that, but I can see it easily reflected in my life. Yeah. 
It rings true to me. Yeah. How do you guys manage it though? So is it just not a problem for you? It's just easy. You're like, oh, I get three marshmallows in, <laughs> in three years. It's, it's, I think like the startup journey is uh, something that like you have this goal, you have this vision. If we want to make money, we want to sell a product that people love. Like we want to, I don't know, like have notoriety. There's all these things that come along with like a sexy startup, but like the the journey of like the startup is like really fun. Like it's one of those things where like the day to day is a grind, but like you're doing something like you're your own boss. Like people are trusting you to do things that like you don't have a ton of expertise in, but like you're learning more every day or trying to do better. And it's like, there's this long-term vision, but like when you think about it in the moment, it's like you're doing something positive, you're bettering yourself. Like you're learning a lot every day. It's stressful. You're trying to like juggle a ton of things, but it's very much like the path that gets you to success. That's like way, like I've never had the the ultimate success. So certainly I can't speak to what that feels like, but certainly every single day and every week when we get better and do better, like that's incredibly gratifying. So like managing the stressors, like everybody's got a different way to do that. Like I exercise, like I don't know what you do. You listen to talk about free will. Yeah. <laughs> Read Sam Harris. Yeah. Yeah. Um, think about how we don't actually think our own thoughts, which is true. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. yeah it's been, it comes up a lot around the castle offices. A surprising yeah. amount, honestly. Yeah. Maybe like once every other day. Once just, every hour, man. Yeah. yeah. Just ca- <laughs> casual remark about how you like you can't really be blamed for anything you do. And no, we are. We are. We are products of our environment. Just passengers. Yeah. Period. Just passengers in our lives. Of report. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean we don't have any control over it, but we certainly are a product. Uh, I feel like I'm constantly putting band-aids on and like oh, a little putty up here and oh that fell off or yeah. we don't need that part anymore. We're gonna go ahead and yeah. cut that thing's been fucking ruining my life for years. <laughs> That's gone, right? <laughs> like jealousy for me, like I don't need that, you know. Like, <laughs> I could just toss that aside. That ruined years of my life, right? Uh but I am essentially like putting a software patch on. Mm-hmm. It's already it's done and over. And and the brain is plastic. You can't yeah. think and oh, learn yeah. new things, sure. but you kind of have, to a larger extent, the canvas you started with. Yeah. And that is the unfortunate part, especially if you're born somewhere like Afghanistan. Yeah, really losing the... You're screwed. Yeah, losing the lottery there. <laughs> yeah. How unlucky do you have to be there? So, but anyway, we digress. <laughs> so you don't have any problems with patients then, or... Uh, I usually do not. I f- feel like I'm, even on the founding team, Max is somewhat impatient. I think Scott and I are pretty patient it's just it has not been a problem for me so uh, that's not a very helpful answer but that's no no hey it's the, the answer is what it is it's helpful it's just is uh, do you have you guys taken any personality tests or, or anything like that like the disc test or we um, had to do that during training camp didn't we yeah we took i think we've all taken the personality tests i think those are like yeah i took those in college as well i don't I don't know if we's like I don't know if I'd treat Tim any differently if I knew he was like an INTGF or whatever they're called and he, I, I was an ETJ whatever like I don't, yeah yeah I don't if I think if your company uses that as like a core philosophy and like that's like how you interact with other people then certainly I think that's a good way to like gauge how to interact with another person we just have other ways to do that through feedback and through OKRs that I don't know those aren't the personality tests. I like taking the test because cool for me, yeah. it was like, oh, yeah, I am a maniac. Like, <laughs> oh, well, so if you want to know, like, okay, why do I suck at managing people? Mm. And then I took several personality tests 
And they basically all said, yeah, you suck at managing people and you shouldn't manage people, right? You're just not going to be happy managing people. Here's why you suck. Here's what you'll be good at. And then the test actually shows and you keep doing it. And you're like, oh, there's a reason why I suck. It doesn't mean I couldn't manage people better, right? But it's just not my strength or my forte or what yeah. I would be happy with. And I'm not saying this test is forever or whatever. It's a snapshot mm-hmm. in time, right? And that's all we have. But for me, I appreciated knowing that there's a reason why I I have, I'm really good at some things and I suck at other things, you know, and, and, and it's okay too. You don't have to be good at everything. Mm-hmm. I think those tests work larger or work better at, at a large organization. If, if they're using them for you to interact with other people, unfortunately, like a castle, like we're not afforded the luxury of like, if I'm not good at managing people, like, well, that sucks. Cause like, I'm going to have to do it. There's only yeah. six of us and like two of them are going to write code all day and they're not going to manage people. So like the, like one of us has to do it. Like we're, we, there are just things that, part of our team is going to have to do whether we're good at them or not and just like kind of figure it out. And maybe that'll be detrimental to the company in a certain way, but there's only, there's only a certain amount of manpower that we can afford right now. And a test like that, like somebody's just gonna have to deal with it. So, so who's yeah. the person who's never satisfied with results? That's why I want to ask. Cause that's me. If you want to, if you want to know, I am just not satisfied ever. So who, who, who in castle is the one you don't have to say a name, but is there somebody who is just never satisfied at all? always further more is that you tim mm, i don't think i'd be the prime candidate for that no i don't think you would either yeah there's certain i think there's a person at castle that yeah that's that criteria somebody that like <laughs> a maniac i'm not a maniac but somebody that's like <laughs> like has one clear function but is always just kind of like hey have you guys thought about doing this this feature have you guys thought about like trying to find leads in this area and it's stop like, ruining my yeah, life it's, it's, <laughs> yeah but it's it's like always good to have a different perspective like it, if we're if we're gonna sit here and be satisfied all day like I don't know. We should have just gotten yeah. a loan out to run the business and like yeah. get satisfied as a lifestyle business. Right, right. So. Exactly. For me, I just don't see any benefit to satisfaction, right? I just, I don't know. I know I'm a maniac now, though. I know. I'm like 99 in that department. <laughs> like the top 0.1% who can't think clearly yeah. on this. Like, and so I realize I'm a weirdo on this thing, but I just don't find satisfaction very satisfying. That's a spectrum. Yeah. 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 I think I've definitely talked to some people who are in the startup world actually who have decided that the sort of path of always like wanting more and like shooting for more that this like startup really fits with um, just isn't for them. So he, his plan for his next thing is to just start like a comfortable, like lucrative lifestyle business and like work the minimum number of hours and just goof off for the rest of the time. But again, like I think that is completely down to predilection. And yes. He happens to be interested in that, and we happen to be interested in a different sort of path. And, and it's interesting that it. different paths can achieve success, too. Yeah. There's yeah. not just one way to get there. That's, that's why it's more I dig into my maniac brain. It's oh, interesting yeah. to see. And then looking at other examples of how people do it, they uh, the Tim Ferrises of the world, you know, yeah. the least amount I could do for the greatest return possible. And he's a very laid back guy when it comes to that kind of stuff. But then he's insane about other things, you know, <laughs> everything that he eats, he tracks for months and blood tests and all that. You're like, my yeah. God, I would never do that. You know, like <laughs> that MCT oil, right? Yeah, MCT oil. <laughs> yeah. Got a cool diet if you want to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I'm, isn't Scott eating the uh, Soylent? Soylent green. Yeah. yeah. So Scott is. He actually just came downstairs this morning to take his protein powder and be like, this is so I don't have to come downstairs to eat because he has his like pre-made Soylent, which doesn't need refrigeration, <laughs> up in his room so he can spend all of his time there. I'm on the opposite side of this. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, Brian, the roommate who co-founded Bonza, the chickpea pasta company, he's like horrified by yes. Soylent. Like there have been multiple debates that I think Scott has provoked in this house <laughs> between himself and Brian being like Soylent is all you need. And then Brian being like, no, like micronutrients, like we don't know everything that's in food, whatever. I don't know. It's, uh, I also eat Soylent, but more as like a breakfast replacement because I fucking hate breakfast and I don't want to have to deal with that shit in the morning. Um, so, you know, I think it could have value in everyone's diet to a certain extent, but I don't think I would ever completely replace food with it. I am completely on the other side of this issue. <laughs> I am slow food everything, grow everything. I get a lot of satisfaction. Most of the meals I cook, at least on the vegetable side, everything came out of my farm. It's so and satisfying, right? It, it is in ways and, and doing slow food and all that. But, Scott, if you ever listen to this, I do do a protein shake in the morning. But I add my kale and everything into uh-huh. it from my garden. Yeah. Okay. I am horrified by this. I remember when that guy came out and he's like, yeah, this is all you ever need. I'm like, I'm on the other side of this. Yeah. I look at cooking as an art and a life and yeah. it's something I want to do for everybody. But for a startup, though. But I think it's, he doesn't even want to walk down the stairs. Like he mixes it in his room so he can save the time walking down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. There's he. I might like Scott. He he wore a smart a smartwatch for a while that had a, like a step counter. And one day, not that I'm claiming the step counters are perfectly accurate, but one day it said he had 50 steps for an entire day. Wow. Yeah. So just he works in his room. He has a bathroom connected. To his was, room. That was going to be my first question. And this would be a problem. At that time, I don't think he had Soylent. So that includes coming from down from the third floor to the first floor to eat, I think, probably twice that day. 50 steps. Scott, you need more than powder, though. Okay, man. <laughs> I'll invite you over. It doesn't matter to me. You like Bernie Sanders. I'll feed you some food. <laughs> I got some greens for you. It'll be okay. I'll have you over. You're going to have to wait till the spring, though, man, because I'm, I'm wrapping it up. And oh, I'm, yeah. I'm at, there's not much out there. There's like Brussels sprouts. Oh, and yeah. yeah, I like them. So, all right. What have you guys been reading since last time or listening to or watching? Well, they just started the startup podcast again. We've been on that train. Yes. Yep. That's a good one. There's not to compete with this podcast. I think they're probably separate enough. Oh, yeah. No, this is not a startup podcast. This is like a business podcast. There's a podcast called Startup where um, Alex Bloomberg, who started Planet Money, and I think one other NPR show, um, basically started his own podcasting network startup. And it's... The first season is basically his journey from being a complete business novice to like getting some initial investment. Spoiler, but you probably have, would already hear if you have yeah. looked up the show. I'm going to look it up right now. Yep. So that's a great one. Um, reading, I, I'm reading a History of Fascism, 1914 to 1945, for the second time. Does this mean National Socialism? Well, you know, the original fascism was Scott. in Italy. Yeah. You can, and then it's debatable how many other fascist movements there were. The, this author claims that it's really just the two, and then Spain for like a little bit. But, I don't know how they say that. Well, he's got a very strict definition of fascism. Yeah, I would say you're ignoring most. I'd say all fascism has a root in theocracy, right? The original mm-hmm. fascism. Yeah, some people refer to fascism as the civic civic religion because, like, fascist regimes had kind of a national secular religious well it's not secular to it. it's not secular at all it's dogmatic it's it's utterly dogmatic in the same way a religion is right but true it wasn't like stalin was falling before science in a really he, he wasn't looking pretending to harvest three grain harvests a year i would not call that 
secular. So startup podcast. I don't yep. want to get in a bait about that. Sorry. No problem. <laughs> no, <I'm open>. yeah. <laughs> well, not on this podcast. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah this is like, doesn't mean we can't have debates like that. I just don't want to lose my audience, you know, right. or end up like Sam Harris, constantly defending myself against morons like Reza Aslan. Oh, um, Barry got any good ones. Yeah. I, so in the same vein of like, uh, like businessy stuff, uh, I, I listen to a podcast called traction um, and it's applicable to, Companies like ours that are in like this early stage of growth, but it's also applicable to anybody that's like starting their own thing or looking for other channels for growth. It's very helpful for me to do my job to listen to this podcast. It's basically how early companies found their first customers and how, how they found sustainable channels for growth moving forward and kind of got over that first hump of like fake it till you make it. Um, like what those key things that they did to, like find a channel that worked to put out content that people were engaged in to like meet new customers. And it's like totally applicable to my job every day. Um, it's put out by a venture capital firm, but it's called traction traction. Yep. All right. Yep. I'll put this in the show notes, folks, as always traction. I am currently reading and listening to seller be sold by Grant Cardone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty good book. I'm basically what Grant is besides being a maniac too, um, marketing your sales process. I think there might be something here, especially in the day, the age of the internet. It's here, mm-hmm. right? Get out in front of it. This is based upon studies where by the time a customer comes to you, they've spent at least 10 hours on the internet already. Mm-hmm. And apparently they track this pretty well. Something like 57% of them have already done 10, 15 hours on the internet and are ready to make a decision within weeks, right? So the traditional model of calling for a price, that that kind of shit, you know, mm-hmm. like the old car sales. And you'll notice that some people on the internet still do it. They don't want to show you the price or they don't want to, they don't just don't want to tell you anything about how it works or whatever. So I'm, I'm kind of going through that, trying to revamp my mind, listen to it, come up with a better sales process, all that. That's been something that's been interesting towards me. I like listening to it more than reading it just because lots of farming going on. So yeah. I'm wrapping it up. I'll be more reading. What about you guys? Anything anything you're watching or, or reading or else listening to? Mm. I've honestly I've I've watched like a, another Sam Harris interview every night. So yeah, <laughs> that's, I, I, I can, I, that's like most of what I do. I think I've watched every honest. single one of them. They're good. I like yeah, Sam Harris. I don't I think he's him. a nice guy, but like I, I he's very smart and I enjoy watching him debate. Just, he's an intellectual and I Oh yeah, that. he destroys people. He does. He yeah. just goes through and but he's so and, logical about it. Yeah, it's just like nice about his thought process, like listening to how he thinks through a logical argument, like helps me structure like a logical argument or like think about problems that I'm thinking about in my daily life. Even if I agree or disagree with what he's saying, like it's very clear how his mind thinks when he walks through a problem. It's cool. It is. And I would not recommend applying this to your personal life, by the way. (laughs) I've tried this. It does not go over well. You got to leave some fuzzy math at the end if you want to get along with your spouse. I'll just, I'll say that. Did you watch the new stuff from the Ruben Report? uh, Yeah. So I watched the Ruben Report one like last night. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So. I've watched, I think I've watched all of them at this, at this point. Yeah. You know, um, it's, it's fascinating. Um, I think we're finally at the end of the regressive left. We're coming to the end. We're coming back to liberal values again, where it's bad for women to live in bags. You know, we, we kind of went crazy for five, 10 years. We were like, all of a sudden this was okay. And now we're kind of coming back. Oh yeah, that's right. It's not okay. Thank yeah. you. We don't get to throw homosexuals off buildings. Yeah. That's not cultural. That makes you a maniac. 
odd how we ended up there, right? Yeah, it's pretty logical. Well, he spent five years defending his life, too, basically on the internet to everybody who called him a racist and all. It was just, it was terrible. I would, it makes, I think it makes a lot of people scared to speak out, too. Well, it, it's, it's just a testament to like the good, like the like good and the dark side of the internet, I guess. Like the dark side of the internet, you can take a 10 second clip from a longer interview and just put it on Twitter and it's totally misrepresents someone's views and, then he is vilified. You know, you can have an intellectual Reza debate. With, Aslan, yeah, you can have an intellectual liar. debate with Sam Harris. Jink uh, Uger, liar. <laughs> yeah. But like you can't take the 10 second clip. You have to put the whole interview online and let people form their own opinions. It's so that's the I'm always I'm saddened by the internet sometimes when you'll watch the 10 second clip and you'll immediately form a viewpoint on someone's like if are they racist? Like uh, do they discriminate? Like whatever. Like just because they had a one 10 second clip where you could make that assumption, it's kind of sad. Well, yeah, they, they don't work. Oh yeah. The, the yeah. whole thing. Well, that's where time comes in again, too. I think the more time we apply to everything, these miserable pieces of shit float up to the top and the internet helps with that too. I'm actually so radical. I would my, I would do this if I wouldn't, if this would, if all my friends would go away and my wife wouldn't talk to me, it would just be, I'll be by myself. Yeah. I would like to have a camera on me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, record everything. Whoa. I know it's a radical way to live. You're going to find out some strange things about Jeremy, yeah. which would be embarrassing, but I would get over, right? We're all primates, right? But I I wouldn't mind being held to that, that level of accountability. You know, there was, I think, Justin TV. Do you remember? Mm. The, yeah, they yeah. Were, there was a startup out of that went through this program called Y Combinator, which is like, roughly speaking, like the Harvard of startup accelerators um, that basically the guys, I don't know why they funded this, honestly, but the guy's idea was like basically that. He was yeah. like, I'm just going to film my life 24-7 and people can tune in. And this was like, it was definitely in the aughts, maybe like 2000. Yeah, there's like, no more Justin TV, right? Well, that turned into Twitch, which are you familiar with Twitch? No, no. Twitch um, is, it became like a basically a video live video game like streaming you could watch other people play video games and it became huge and i think amazon bought it maybe yeah. for like a wow. billion dollars but now you can watch people Ooh. do like tons of things like you can watch like people design zeros. or code or like yeah it's, it's not right. a learning platform almost yes that's awesome but yeah it just started as some guy basically filming his entire life and then i think maybe he played video games and people were like you should play more video games so we can watch you play video games and he was like maybe there's a market for this i know that is a thing isn't it it's a it's a huge thing too yeah. oh yeah it's a gigantic thing which i don't know why i'm so surprised we like sharing don't we we oh, like yeah. sharing just yeah. in general if we're enthusiastic about something we want to share it, even if it means watching digitally on a screen. But we, we like to share, but we also want to know people are engaged and they like it. Just like when you're live streaming the RDI meetings, you know. Yeah, my one kinda, person watching. Yeah, you want, you want to know. if they, You'd feel better if there are 10 or 15 people watching. I feel better yeah, if there's yeah. 2,000. Yeah. What are you doing, people? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think I had two, three yeah, right? is the max. Yeah. yeah. Zero. yeah. Well, we like social feedback, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. especially positive social feedback, not yeah. so much the negative social feedback. <laughs> But I like it all. I'm wrapping this up, though. Cool. Question I forgot to ask. I mean, I know I hate going back and doing it. But, hey, that's that's the podcast. That's the way mm-hmm. it is, folks. Um, speaking of which, go to intercastle.com, intercastle.com. Hit them up on Twitter, at intercastle. And if you're interested in the story of this house, go to rebirthrealtydetroit.com. How do you structure your day from – more or less. And I noticed there's lots of personalities here, mm-hmm. lots of different ways to do it. Mm-hmm. So we'll start with you, Tim. But obviously, this is a startup, and this is an aggressive startup, 25% month over month reaching, right? Took money from some pretty serious people who asked some pretty tough questions. 
and I'm sure it'll hold you to a level of accountability that most people would be pretty uncomfortable with, right? You really got to live up to what you do. How do you manage your day and what does your day look like? Yep. So the beginning of any business day for me, um, cause I'm a little bit of a late riser is the business team daily stand up meeting at 10 o'clock. So stand up. I like it. Yep. So it's supposed to be, you're standing up because you want to encourage people to be very brief. Basically the four people on the business team, that's me, Barry, Max, um, and Amanda, we will stand basically right next to where we're sitting right now and just briefly go over like our plan for the day. So, you know, on a normal day, I might be like, okay, today I'm going to like tackle this big like plumbing issue. Then I'm going to like, um, schedule all the showings I need to for the day. And then hopefully I can like write, uh, requirements for this new feature that we want the tech team to build. And then Barry might say like, okay, I'm going to follow up on all my sales leads and I'm going to like assign my like remote worker to start on collecting the next 500 leads and maybe like reconcile some books. I don't know. So just really quickly like that. Um, and that lets people know if, if they have stuff that they need to do with the other person that day that that maybe like if someone's going to be blocking someone from achieving their goal, it gets it all out there. And this is physical, right? It's actually in this house right next yes, to this desk. That's okay. right. So that's the very beginning. It gets me set to work. It lets me know what everyone else is up to, getting motivated. A lot of time, a lot of the like working hours will be on the actual management stuff. People calling in or people like writing in support tickets. Um, you know, dealing with those, dealing with the contractors who are usually open just during regular business hours. Then that peters off at about five or six. And then after that, it's up to me often what I want to tackle. So for instance, um, you know, trying to write features for the dev team to develop, or I could even do a little dev work on my own, or maybe like if it's near feedback time, putting together all the feedback results and scheduling the feedback meeting. Um, and that usually takes me like I'm work, we'll work intermittently until like midnight or one and then go to bed and then start all over again. That's a long day, man. Do you do that Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday or Monday through Sunday? That's just what life is. That's like Monday through Friday. And then, um, weekends I get out a fair amount. Um, but if I'm around, I probably put in like a half day, like Saturday and Sunday. So about four hours. Do you schedule any breaks weekly or monthly or vacations or? Mm, basically, I just, if there's cheap lights, then I often hop on them. There's this newsletter called Fair Deal Alert that um, it covers a bunch of airports, including DTW, and it just sends out if there's crazy low fares. So for instance, in the beginning of September, I went to Russia for like 550 round trip. I remember that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and that's from fair deal alert or like, you know, there was one from Miami that basically our whole house hopped on. It was like $90 round trip to Miami for a weekend. Damn. Yep. So very spontaneous in that, in that approach. Right? Yeah. Basically I'm here in the house, like working all the time or I'm like out and about and trying to work very little. What about you, Barry salesman? Yeah. Uh, really structured day. A little uh, closer to the mic. Yeah. Uh, there you uh, go. 6.30 up, workout in the morning, uh, 8 o'clock, I'm back, make breakfast. Um, not Soylent Green? Not, I do not do Soylent. <laughs> I make about the same breakfast every morning, but it is not Soylent. Um, you start working around 8.30. Um, my day is fairly reactive most of the day, as is Tim's. Mm -hmm. It is reacting yeah. to phone calls. It is reacting to a sales pipeline. It's reacting to new marketing things we're trying. Um, but I very consciously try to block out two hours a day to 
think proactive, like what can we be building on our side of things? What's the new channel we need to explore? Do I need to figure out some numbers to prove out if this channel's worked? So I'd turn off email for like two hours a day and just focus on like the next thing that we need to be looking at so that we can keep moving forward. Around six o'clock, I go for a run almost every night. Um, and then, I don't know, night times, watching Sam Harris. I don't work as late as Tim does, but we probably put in, you know, we're always like, wake up me and Tim are like, I usually go to bed around 10, but we're usually down here. Yeah, you're like me. Yeah. yeah. I'm firmly in middle age. I like being in bed by 10 o'clock <laughs> at night. No, brutal. You couldn't make me do that. Well, you know, I was different at 26, <laughs> man. You know, I'm a little softer around the midsection than it was, you know. I'm getting, I'm getting more in shape, but... uh I I much prefer to wake up earlier and go and go to bed earlier. Although this running business, Barry, man, no thanks. You gotta chase me with a knife. I'll run. You gotta clear your head. It's a, it's a nice stress reliever. Yeah, I farm. That's what I do. I farm. Yeah, I split wood. Good. Yeah, yeah. Do something. I do something. I can't work for whatever reason. I have a hard time following a workout where I'm doing nothing. Mm. But if I have a pile of wood or food, it's just fine. Yeah, it's like a trick in my brain. Like yes, no. And I just uh, to be consistent. Farming has really helped me with my. With my health, um, by the way, everybody should farm. You like that? It's really subtle, right? <laughs> farm motherfuckers. That's my hashtag. All right, on Instagram, go go search it out. Um, Barry, do you have daily like do you do you track? You're like do you have goals daily when it comes to numbers, sales, calls, all that? I forgot to ask earlier. No, uh, I'm very I, interested because I do more of what you do yeah. than what Tim does. Yeah. Right? I have monthly uh, sales goals as far as like closed one type of units. Um, but as far as follow-up calls I need to make, I don't have a goal cause it's variable. Um, I, I have a lead come in. I know like what type of a lead that is, which means that it, I need, it requires a follow-up in one or two or three weeks. I set that reminder when that comes, basically I just click one button that has that automatic response if I haven't heard back from them and it just goes from there. So there isn't, I don't have like this, we're not buying like lead gen, like number sheets or call sheets or anything like that, where it's like, Hey, I gotta make a hundred phone calls today and set 10 meetings. Um, most of our leads are inbound. Um, we're not quite at the point where we can afford to, or whether we even ever will want to just strictly be doing outbound over the phone. Uh, it might not be a great model for our business, but we just don't have the resources to do it now. Interesting though. You said once a month you try and implement something new, right? Mm-hmm. Like you and Max sit down and figure yeah. out that that's a pretty aggressive schedule. How do you, how do you manage that? Cause I know, I know exactly what it's like to add another pipe to your pipeline, right? It's, it's a lot harder than just saying, Hey, we're going to try this. Like it's a difficult thing to do to manage the setup, to look, we, we come up with the copywriting and all that stuff. We, we fly by the seat of our pants on it. Like we're not going to, we'll educate ourselves to like, like essentially like a, my, a minimum viable product for, for about our knowledge. So like we're, we're rolling out this new campaign in November. It's a partnership program with realtors and we kind of had a base idea of what we wanted to start with. Like it's going to be kind of referral based and we'll market it just towards realtors in these areas and we'll find some email addresses and we'll do these drip campaigns. And we just did it. Like we, we didn't have to ask anybody to do it. There was no like structure to like, get an approval. Like you just have to try it at some level. And the, the way that companies will get bogged down is they'll just like think about the specifics of these things for so long that it's, it doesn't really matter. Like we'll throw it out there. We'll spend some money on it. We'll see if it kind of works. If it kind of works, we'll educate ourselves more and refine it. Fail fast. Basically. Fail fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I've noticed there a trend of that, that people who are good at stuff are good at failing faster really than everybody else. So you, so you obviously when you start these, you have some metric 
at which point you're going to cut it loose, right? So you mm-hmm. don't spend any more time or money or effort on it. Right? Yeah, the metric is like, cool, I'm going to spend like $5,000 this month and like I'll track it for three months to see if I have any ROI. Like if I close like, look, our model is nice and that people pay us every single month. That's so true. I only need a few customers to make that worth my time. Um, but it's not a hard thing to track. It's like, cool, here's the campaign I launched. Here's what it cost me this month. And here's how many units I closed that month. I can put a number and I can track an ROI on that and see pretty quickly if it's worth it. Like I've spent, you know, Max have tried like advertising campaigns and SEO type of stuff. And it's just like wasted a ton of money. Took us a month, spent the money, zero return. All right, we'll never do it again. Yeah. So. Do you guys know the lifetime value of your customer or, or do you have a guess? Or do you set a number to that? Or I know you maybe not want to share it, but I think we say two years, our churn's very low. Our churn is less than like we define churn as a paying customer that calls us and says, we no longer want to use your services. Um, it's around, we've had very few customers call us and say they don't want our services anymore. It's like around one or 2% lifetime value. We can't, totally track it right now because our lifetime is so short. short, Yeah. We tell people it's about two years. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So I can kind of, okay. So you're thinking in terms of two years as far as the lifetime value of the customer, right? Yeah, that's about right. And then, you know, sometimes in that period of time, like people might get itchy and sell their property. Yeah. So, and then it's kind of a crapshoot about whether the buyers want to use us because sometimes they're just set in their ways. They have their own managers come in and do it. We, we have, uh, come along with properties in sales though. In fact, your property, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you sold it to that worked Jack. Great. Yeah. And he was already a customer of ours, so it was perfect. I fucking love that. Yeah, yeah, that's how I that's how I know I like the system. Like, damn, I've never known this shit ever. Like I don't have to call you guys once. I think maybe I sent an email once just because I got confused. I think it was me, not you, about a maintenance <laughs> issue. And I can't remember who responded. It was like in minutes. Yep. I got an email back. I was like, holy shit. That's what I say. Who, who's going away? I, I don't like transparency. <laughs> I hate knowing what's always going on with my property. I, I've never heard anybody say that in their life. I don't, at least not me. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about or anything else on your mind? I know you're always thinking, Tim. Maybe yeah. Today. Uh, it's okay if you don't. I always like to ask, though, because I'm, I'm very great. I appreciate your time. And if there's something you want to talk about, either about Castle or just what's on your mind, now's the time, man. I would say... We also like to talk about the inherent meaninglessness of existence around here. Yes. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> yeah. So passengers. at the end of the day, it doesn't, does it? <laughs> Truly. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, people sometimes think of that as a very negative and pessimistic point of view, but I think it allows us to, to not listen to what other people think might be the right, like metrics for us or what the things that we should value as individuals, but also as a company and be like, you know what? That's all relative. Like that's what those people think. There is no like absolute like meaning or success. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. There is no absolute. So that's why we take such care to set our own and be like, okay, we're all going to come together as a team and agree to create our own meaning in what we're doing. It's interesting how some people take the absolute is a negation of value or purpose yeah. rather than embracing the freedom of just discovery, you know, and I don't know. I find it very strange how people take, well, if there's not an absolute, then anything is permitted. And then, no, you're really taking it the wrong way, man. There is no absolute. There is no meaning. Go find it or make it. And it really doesn't matter. That's a nihilist to me. It really doesn't matter because it really doesn't. Yeah. Five billion years, the sun's going to eat this rock up and it's all done. Pretty much. Do you think we'll get off before that time? I think, yeah, I think humans will make it out. Or at least either that or some like uh ai that we create 
and then it'll leave. That's what I think. Yeah. I think machines, I think we'll create nanotechnology that'll go on, if anything, and that'll be. But the that's only a, thing. that's a trace of humanity. That's humanity, yeah, right? That's it's evolution. Yeah. It's just a different kind. Yeah. Not all wet and sticky anymore, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Surrounded by water. It could be different things. <laughs> It's interesting. Barry's laughing. He's like, I don't want to. I don't want to comment on this. <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, you go for it. <laughs> Fine. We'll we'll end on that. I really appreciate the time. I really like hanging out with you guys. I really like talking with you guys. I have a good time with it. This is the second time I've had you guys on. I really appreciate it. I want to thank Tim and Barry from Castle Intercastle.com for their time today. And I encourage you to check out what they're working on. These are cool guys. And the whole team, too. There's Scott. There's Max. There's a bunch of people here. Go to intercastle.com, intercastle.com. Hit them up on Twitter, at intercastle. I highly recommend the story of this house. is great. You're going to love it. Go to rebirthrealtydetroit.com. If you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. I think you will. I will appreciate it, and I think they might enjoy it. This is a free podcast. Also, sharing, liking, and feedback really does help. I really appreciate it. I do listen to it when I receive it. That's why I'm trying to tone myself down a little bit. Not too much. Stay real without being a maniac. Yeah. If you have any comments or suggestions, reach out. Let me know. Go to renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors or go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if you prefer, hello, YouTube. Go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I do want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know there are a lot of distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits, or maybe just bad, bad and unlucky starts in life. You know, Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer to your goals, even if it's only one step. And I want to thank you for listening. I really do appreciate your attention. And I'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Till then, crush it.